Heavenly Father, we know that you have called your church to faithfully bring the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, to a world that does not know life in Him. Most of us are aware of this calling and the power of the Spirit that we have to exercise it, and yet we more often times than not find ourselves distracted with the things of this world. I ask, Lord, that you would do a great work this morning in us and in all your true churches here in the South Bay and in this state and throughout the nation, that you would increase our love for Christ to such a degree that we would want to serve you faithfully rather than submit to the idols in our own life. Um, I praise you so much for the testimony that we have of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark and Timothy and even Luke here as he joins the missionary team of remaining focused on being the witnesses that you called and equipped them to be. Cause us, Father, this morning to see that we are those witnesses too. It may not be to foreign lands and foreign places, but certainly in our own backyards with our family and friends and our neighbors and our co-workers who do not know you. I pray we would be those helpers, those who come and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have yet to repent and believe. We ask that you would do this, Father, for your glory. Uh, Do it by a means of increasing our love for you, that we would see this great service you call us into as one of joy and not a burden. For we know, Lord, that someone served us when they shared the gospel with us, and by your Spirit you made us alive. Make us those faithful saints as well as we testify to the lost in our mission fields. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm so thankful you're here. We have so many people who are sick right now. Please be praying. It's hard in a smaller church when sickness goes through. Well, just a lot of people get it. So um, um, I'm thankful you're here. I hope you're not sick. Uh, If you are, be a little careful in kissing people and hugging people. Um, If you're not in Acts chapter 15, please go there with me. We have been working through the book of Acts now for several weeks. And if you've been tracking it, sometimes the... The passages that we deal with, we're preaching exegetically through it, passage by passage, verse by verse. And sometimes we get high theology, and other times we get very practical teachings. And this is one of those days where we're going to be able to draw from what God is doing by His Spirit through, through Paul and Silas and then Timothy, and we're going to see that Luke jumps on board here as well. Um, and the point of Luke's writing is not to give a, a point-by-point detail of the, the church from the ascension of Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to his imprisonment in Rome. That's about 30 years, and we would need a lot more books than we have here in Acts. Dr. Luke is writing to give us the high points that we might not only get the right theology, but understand how we're supposed to do evangelism, discipleship, and church planning and missions too. And so we're going to have some great opportunities today, I hope, for us to see some very practical things that we ought to be doing And given that we're only one week now, a week and a half into 2022, covenant together as members of Cambrian Park Baptist Church to do some of these things this year, that we might see um, God glorified and hopefully our community blessed. Um, This morning, Paul and Barnabas, they split company. Um, We're not going to spend a lot of time on that because Luke doesn't spend a lot of time on it. Um, But what we will see is Paul begin what New Testament scholars call his second missionary journey. And there are so many details to that, 
and so much debate on that that we're going to try to hit those basic principles that we want to draw from to not only understand the text, but hopefully say, hey, you know what? We should be doing that too, and maybe I should be doing that as you say that to yourself. And by God's grace, we will see God glorified in this and, and bear much fruit in this coming year. There are three things I'd like us to learn from the text. Number one, staying focused on the work. Number two, finding help for the work. And number three, submitting to God in the work. Okay, so the title of the sermon is Gospel Work. The theme of the sermon would be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that what? That we should walk in them. In other words, God has, if you know Christ, there is work for you to do. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians uh, 2 that it's been before the foundations of the world, this work was planned for you to do. So it's a glorious opportunity for us to serve God. So point number one, staying focused on the work. Hopefully you'll be able to stay focused on the sermon that you might hear the work that you're called to do. All right, so like, like I always encourage you, make sure that oxyhemoglobin's going up there and you're listening as closely as you can that you might actually um, hear and respond to it. Staying focused on the work. So we're 49, 50 AD, the Jerusalem Council has spoken and they've determined joyfully what the pure gospel is. They said you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. The Gentiles did not have to be circumcised and submit to the laws of Moses. And then if you remember the council, James said to the Gentiles, and don't use your freedom to cause your Jewish brothers and sisters to stumble. And so we find here uh, early in the church, great unity now between Jew and Gentile. They see themselves as brothers and sisters in the same family of God. And so we're very encouraged by that. And we looked at that last week. So Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch of, of Syria. They're their home church. They're sending church. They're doing lots of teaching. And they realize we got to go back. We got to get back to those churches where we shared the gospel and made disciples and encouraged them. Look at verse 36. Luke writes, after some days, and some days was likely a few months, it wasn't just a few days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they're in Antioch of Syria, they're teaching, we're told in verse 30, 35, they were teaching and preaching um, of the Lord in Antioch and many others also. So the church, it's a thriving ministry. Uh, things in Antioch of Syria are going really, really well. There's unity in the church between Jew and Gentile. It was the type of ministry that it would have been really hard for a pastor to leave. And yet Paul and Barnabas says, we got to go. Not because things weren't good in Antioch, they were very good. He said, we got to go, and we got to check in on all those churches in the first missionary journey to see how they're doing. We want to go support them. We want to encourage them. We want to make them stronger in the Lord. In other words, they understood, my beloved, and I would like for us to get this today, that real gospel work is long work. It's patient work. It's work that we do day after day. It's not simply proclaiming the gospel, baptizing people, and saying, come to church you know, every Sunday for an hour, an hour and a half. That's not the type of gospel work we see Paul and Barnabas engaging in. It's not the gospel work that we're called to either. Um, they understood a constant need for encouragement and spiritual training, the building up of the body of Christ that his churches might be strong day after day because the long haul, and if you have been in Christ for some time, you know this, it's the long haul that matters, right? It's making it to the end that matters. It may sound like a foreign faith to us in, in our cultural moment where we even as a church, we go at Mach 2 and sound bites define the culture. Um, 
I pray that's not you. I pray that you see that this is a long haul. Isaiah said this, prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 2, 3 said, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may what? Walk in his paths. It doesn't say run. It doesn't say sprint. It's walk day by day, growing day by day, year after year, in the faith and knowledge and love of God. That's the path of the Christian. It's, it's, not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Slowly, day after day, growing with one another in this faith. It's why so many evangelical churches in the West view this model as antiquated and end up with these churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Right? That we think that this is the sole purpose. We gather, we hear some singing, we hear some preaching, and then we leave and that's the substance of our faith. Real gospel work is daily, diligent, persistent, and hard. It's hard work. Making disciples is hard work. Um, And regardless of how difficult things may be in your life, that's what you are called to do. You're called to make disciples. So Paul and Barnabas are in agreement. we got to go back. we got to strengthen these churches. We planted the gospel. We made disciples. There are churches there. Now we got to go back. They agreed on that, but they didn't agree on who they should take. In fact, most of you know this. This was a a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that led them to split. Look at verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now if you remember back in Acts chapter 13, it was Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They made it to Pamphylia, and as they were going to try to make their way up to Antioch of Pisidia, Mark, they believe, you know, there's lots of speculation that he got cold feet and and went back to Jerusalem. We don't know why, but we know that he left the fight. And so Barnabas is Mark's cousin. Barnabas is older, and so he says, well, let's take him and give him a second chance. And Paul says, there's no way. I'm going back in there again, and that might happen again. And so this disagreement, the, the language in the Greek, sharp disagreement, they were not even close to being on the same page here. But what I do want to encourage you to see, they were not fighting. They were not in such agreement that they hated each other. In fact, we know that later, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, he actually commends Barnabas for his faithful service to the Lord. And then John Mark, we know, John Mark becomes instrumental in the ministry of Paul and Peter, when Paul was in prison, he tells Timothy, hey, bring Mark with me. And he says this. This is from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Mark, this is Paul speaking. Mark is very useful to me for my ministry. And we know from Colossians 4 that Mark went and he ministered to Paul while he was in prison. And not only that, he hooked up with Peter also, probably in between the falling out between Barnabas and Paul and then him, uh, Mark being with Paul in prison. Uh, and, and then we know that he wrote the Gospel of Mark. So what we do know, with, what, instead of focusing on the disagreement, we do, there was full reconciliation, probably relatively soon, between Barnabas, Mark, and the Apostle Paul. What I would like for us to see this morning is the laser focus that both Paul and Barnabas had on the work at hand. They were focused on the mission in spite of their own falling out. Now, relational difficulties will often split a church. You'll see people taking sides, and suddenly half the church is gone. Paul and Barnabas, they did not agree upon whom they were going to take, but they did agree that the mission had to go forward. And so verse 39, latter part, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and that makes sense. Cyprus was Barnabas' home, 
He was from that area. That's the first place they went. If you remember, when they left Antioch of Syria, they sailed straight, and they did their first missionary work on the island. And then we're told in verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So he picked Silas. Silas, is a, he's a great choice. Silas is a Jew, so he'd fit in perfectly with the synagogues. He was a Hellenistic Jew, so he could speak to the Greco-Roman culture. And he was also, like Paul, a Roman citizen. So when they got into trouble, he could throw down that trump card. Okay, so Silas was a great pick by the Apostle Paul, and of course we believe to be led by the Holy Spirit. So they, they leave Antioch of Syria, and they head northwest again to Syria and Cilicia, doing what? They're strengthening the churches. All the places they had been, they're going to go back to. They're going to pray with them. They're going to teach them. They're going to encourage them and say what? Press on, press on, right? Keep doing the work. Um, it's because they understood that Christianity is a long haul that they realized the necessity of this strengthening. Our Lord and Savior said in Matthew chapter 24, listen to this. He was talking about the end times. Many will fall away and betray one another. Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. And then he said this in verse 13, Matthew 24. But the one who endures, and that literally means to remain faithful under pressure. The one who endures, the one who endures to the end will what? Will be saved. Right? So it's not a matter of hearing the gospel, repenting, believing, getting baptized, and then sitting in the church. He's saying you have to press on and be strengthened. And Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas and all those who engaged in this understood that for the believers who made a profession and came to a saving grace, they wanted to strengthen them so they could endure all the way to the end, all the way into the presence of God. And what they did not allow is their, their fear of going back. There were real dangers. They experienced that the first time around. They didn't allow their relational fallout to dissuade them from going. They didn't even allow their success in Antioch of Syria. They could have said, you know what? Let's just retire here, Barnabas. It's good right now. This church is thriving. People are being saved. The gospel's going out. They decided not to do that either. They realized that in order for those churches to thrive, they needed to strengthen them because it's the churches that needed to strengthen one another. Paul would later write in Ephesians 4, he writes this, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers were given for what reason? Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Verse 16, so that when each part is working properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love, so that we get stronger in Christ, not weaker. Right? When the body's actually doing what the body's supposed to be doing, when a local church is healthy, and working together, we're going to grow in our love for God and for one another. We'll become stronger and stronger, which means what? More of us will persevere all the way to the end. Now, there are so many simple ways as we enter 2022. we got a full year in front of us. So many simple ways that you can bless a brother or sister here at Cambrian Park Baptist Church. I, I would say one of the simplest ways in terms of um, time and um, um, probably one of the best blessings that we can have is you pray for each other. I mean, we, we really, really pray for each other. Get out your directory on a regular basis, open the page, look at that beautiful face of the brother or sister that is covenanted with you here at this church and pray for them. You can pray for them. You can gather when they gather. Whether you know it or not, your physical presence, even if you say nothing the entire day, your physical presence, your incarnational presence with a brother and sister means a lot when you're with them. 
uh, you can use your gifts and talents and you are so gifted and you are so talented to, to bless this community, to engage in the ministry here. Um, you can invite people into your home, have a meal. Very encouraging, especially if the meal's good. So many things you can do. You can counsel those who are struggling. Um, you can, you know, you can just be a friend. We, we are a lonely people in a lonely culture. You can just be a good friend. You know that friend that always lets you in and never lets you down? That kind of friend. The friend that Jesus is to you, you can encourage a brother or sister by being that type of friend to them. You could even say, you know what, this year I'm going I'm to pick a particular area of our faith. I'm going I'm to study God's mercy. Maybe I'm going to study baptisms we're going to look at on Wednesday night or, or something to do with, with when Christ comes again. I'm going to study it and then I'm going to teach it to a brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to encourage them by what I learn. There are so many ways that we can do this, my beloved. Paul and Barnabas did not let the distractions or the pleasures in their life detour them from the mission at hand. And that was the proclamation of the gospel and the making of disciples. Um, I have no doubt when, when they came before the Lord, they heard Jesus say to them, well done, what? Good and faithful servants, enter my Father's rest. Now we say that a lot. I, I want you to hear that. I want to hear that. But that means that I have to engage in the work as the faithful servant and I have to desire the rest, which means I'm going to be tired here on this side. My beloved, you have all of eternity to rest, right? Now is the time to work. Work hard for the Lord. Go into the kingdom tired. That's a great thing. Go into the kingdom tired because God is faithful and will give you rest. Um, so the question for you is, will you hear those words? Will you hear Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Will you be tired because of the hard work and enjoy the rest that Christ gives you? I pray so. So first thing, the importance of what? Staying focused on the mission at hand, staying focused on the gospel ministry that has been given to you if you know Jesus Christ. Number two, finding help for the work. If this work is exhausting, and it is, and you say, you know what, I don't want to do it alone. I want people around me, with me. And of course, that's what we see in the entire New Testament. We don't see solo Christians with the Holy Spirit in their Bible out blazing a trail alone. We see Christians in the church doing the work of the gospel. So Paul, Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes Silas. And once Paul and Silas are back up in, in Lystra, you remember what happened in Lystra, right? The, the Jews from, from Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium, they came down and they convinced the crowd to do what? To stone Paul almost to death, right? So Paul's going right back into the lion's den here, um, but he does it eagerly because he knows that that church there needs to be strengthened. And when he gets there, he has his eyes set on someone. He has his eyes set on, on Timothy. Look at the latter part of uh, verse one in chapter 16. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Um, so Timothy, who likely came to a saving grace on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, and he'd been raised in the faith, so maybe two years, two and a half years had passed in him actually hearing the gospel, repenting, and believing. Um, he was raised by a Jewish mother, you know her, Eunice, and a Jewish grandmother by the name of Lois. And we're told by the Apostle Paul in his letter, his second letter to Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, that Eunice and Lois made sure that Timothy knew the scriptures really, really well. Listen to this. They made sure that Timothy, this is what Paul writes, from childhood was acquainted with the sacred writings, that would be the Old Testament, which were able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And so there was so much work taking place on Timothy's life before he ever heard the gospel. And then we find out that at an early age, Timothy, Timothy's young. Uh, it's funny, the Sunday school pictures, they have him like a little boy. He wasn't a boy. He wasn't like he was six going off with um, Paul and Silas. He was probably 18, 19, 20. He was young, though, a young man. Um, but we're told here, Luke tells us, that he was already spoken well of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy already had a reputation as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy's father was a Greek, which made him half Jewish and half Gentile. And, and that was good for the mission field because Paul was a missionary to who? The Gentiles. But it was bad when they were going to land in a synagogue because he was not, what? He was not circumcised. Look at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them uh, for observances the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So as they made their way through, they're saying, remember the Jerusalem council, we already made very clear that the Gentiles did not have to submit to circumcision or the laws of Moses. And, and they were supposed to respect their Jewish brothers by not exercising their freedoms that would cause them to be offended. So if that's true, then you have to, as you're reading this and you're thinking through it, you're saying, why did Paul circumcise Timothy if he didn't have to be circumcised to be a Christian? And that's, that's a really good question, actually. Um, the council was clear. Gentiles were not required to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And at the same time, Jews were not required to abandon all their Jewishness in order to be Christians, okay? And so, Timothy is half Jewish, half Greek. But in the, according to the rabbinical law, a, a, if a Jewish woman married a, a non-Jewish man, that, law, that marriage, according to the rabbinical law, was not even considered valid. And so, the son or the daughter would receive um, their identity through the mother. Now, since... Timothy's mother was Jewish, he was looked at as Jewish. So if Paul takes him into these cities as a Jewish man and he's not circumcised, there's going to be problems immediately within the context of the synagogue. So Paul realizes, I want you to be able to come into the synagogue and therefore you must be circumcised. And so he was circumcised not to become a Christian because that would have violated the council's decision, but in order to be the best servant he could be, right? He was becoming all, th- all things to all people that he might win some to Christ. Of course, Paul taught him that. Right? So he became circumcised. And the decision paid off. Look at verse 5. The churches that Paul and Silas and Timothy visited, they were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. So Timothy would prove to be not only a faithful missionary in, on the second missionary journey of Paul, but he was going to be an amazing um, servant of Christ for the next generation. And I do believe that's why Paul uh, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pick him. He was young, um, he loved the Lord, and Paul was thinking about those that were coming up, right? I mean, Paul, even from this point, had a very limited time in his life. He was older, Silas was older, Barnabas was older, Peter was older, and so here's young Timothy for us. Um, so for us, you say, well, wh- what does that mean for us? It means so much for us. Um, if you're a parent or a grandparent, Right? This is the model of training up our children in the way they should go. 2022 for you, if you haven't been faithful, parents and grandparents, grandparents, you're not off the hook. This whole cultural idea of we get to get the grandkids, we get to spoil them and then give them back, that's not biblical. 
get the grandkids, raise them up in the faith, and then give them back. That's better. That's what Eunice and Lois did. Timothy's mother and grandmother, they took Deuteronomy 6 very, very seriously. And they trained Timothy in the ways of the faith. Why? Not only so they could prepare him to hear the gospel and be saved, but to prepare him for the gospel ministry. They were very serious about that. And we're so thankful, right? The work that Timothy did to to help Paul and sustain Paul and help these churches, um, we are very, very thankful for that. Uh, My beloved, if, if you leave as a parent or a grandparent, if you leave your child or grandchild to the culture, or to the schools, or even, listen, even to the, just the church, that the, the consummation of their spiritual training will be an hour and a half on Sunday, you are failing them. And I say that in love. You're failing them. We are to prepare their hearts from the first time we see them, even before that, we're to prepare their hearts to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and be a disciple. We're to do that work. That's One of the greatest things that we're called to do. So how do you do that? Well, hopefully you're praying with them and for them. Pray with your children really early. As as early as you can. Don't say, well, they're not saved yet. That's foolishness. Pray with them as early as you can. Read the Bible to them and explain it to them as early as you can. These are very simple things. In the home. Have family worship time in your home. We've talked about this already. Open the Bible, spend time in prayer. If you can't sing, sing anyway. Get some songs, learn an instrument, put on some um, uh, YouTube channel. You can sing with them. Sing with them, pray with them, encourage them to, to engage in the life of the church from a very early age. If you're doing ministry work, bring them along. Bring them along. Have them right next to you. If you're going to visit someone at home, bring them along. Have them with you. Kirk and Brandon and Joshua, they were always I'm like, all right, come on. They're like, why am I coming? Because I need to show you, I need to show you what this is like. And so they were with me a lot. Sometimes they liked it, sometimes they didn't like it. It didn't matter. It was my job to train them up in the way of the faith. Uh, encourage them to read Christian literature, and there's so much now. Oh, there's so much good literature. Have them reading good Christian literature. My beloved, the standards of the culture, the standard the culture sets for our children is not just low, it's evil. Okay, we, we always talk about the standards are so low. They're not just low, they're evil. You know the top five things that young people enjoy doing most? Most. You know what they are? In order now, from one to five, being on their phones, engaging in social media, video streaming, sports, and video games. Top five. That's from last year. That's recent. Imagine, Christian, how different it would be if you raised your sons and daughters to read, memorize, and meditate on God's word. Imagine how different they might be. Imagine how different they might be if you brought them with you to minister to someone in need rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to go take care of this. You sit home and play a video game. Imagine training them to play an instrument so that when they're older, they can actually worship with the church. There are so many things we can do and we are called to do, and I would say commanded to do, Eunice and Lois, they got it. They trained up Timothy. for So when he heard the gospel, he was not only saved, but Paul comes around two years later and says, I'm taking him with me. And that was 18, 19, 20 years of good training. Really good training. What a difference from today, my beloved. Listen to this. 93% of practicing Christian grandparents 
say they are not comfortable having a conversation about Jesus with their own grandchildren. 93%. Let's not do that. Grandparents, talk with your grandchildren about Jesus. Share scripture with them. Train them up in the faith. We're responsible too. You're not let off the hook. Hopefully you wouldn't want to be let off the hook. You want that to be part of their upbringing. Um, There's another thing I want to encourage you, and it's not just for grandparents and parents. It's for every member here, specifically the older members. Older, male, female members, I want you to become a Paul to a Timothy. A Paul to a Timothy. Later in 1 Corinthians, and then Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he calls Timothy what? Do you remember? His spiritual son. He calls him a spiritual son. A son who would do what? Who would carry on the mission of his spiritual father, the apostle Paul. Paul called Timothy to join him. Not just for that mission, that was important. But again, Paul had his sights set on the kingdom to come. He had his sights set on that next generation. And we want to be thinking about the next generation too. We don't want to be just so focused about who's here right now, but who's here right now that will be trained up to minister to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren who will be here for this community 20, 30, 40 years from now. So much work to be done. In Titus, Titus chapter 2, Paul says to the older women and the older men in the church, he said, older women, find the younger women and raise them up. Older men, find the younger men and raise them up. Not just parents and grandparents, but you have a responsibility He said, I didn't want any responsibility when I came to church this morning. Here's a responsibility for you. If you're older and mature in the faith, you have a responsibility to identify someone here, a younger female if you're a female, a younger male if you're a male, and participate in their spiritual maturation. Help them. Help them grow in their faith. Now, this this doesn't need to be complicated, but it does require time. You say, well, I I didn't go to seminary. I don't know. It's not require that. If you, are, if you know the Lord and you're mature in faith and you've got some experience under your belt, which means you have some gray hair, then you just come alongside someone and spend time with them. Pray with them. Listen to them. Hear their struggles. Hear what they're confused about. Study with them. Read, read a book together. Study scripture together. My beloved, we, we live in a time and place where we so desperately need, we desperately need as older Christians to breathe into the life of younger Christians. We need to today, maybe more so than any other time in recent history, in light of the postmodern culture that we've embraced. We live in a world where basic truths, now I'm not that old, but there are basic truths that we assume to be true that the church no longer does. Basic truths about binary things that many young people are very confused about inside the church. Something as basic as marriage. You say, how could marriage be confusing? Marriage between a man and a woman. For how long? Until death do we part. That's confusing for a lot of young Christians. Marriage being something that you enter into sacrificially. So when you say to a man in Ephesians chapter 5, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church, they understand that. We teach that to them. Parents raising their sons and daughters as sons and daughters, not because the child or the parent or the government chooses their gender, but because God gave it to them. Needs to be trained basic theological truths that so many professing Christians today reject. You know, between the ages, Christians between the ages of 12 and 25, 50% say it's wrong. They believe it's theologically wrong to share their faith. What do we do with that? 34% 
don't share the same beliefs as their parents, and their parents don't even know it. So they're in the church, they're going to church, they don't believe any of it, and their parents are not even aware of it. That should not surprise us. In half of all Christian homes, there's no regular dialogue about Jesus Christ and the gospel between parent and child. Half of all Christian homes. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? You got dinner every night? Saturday, Sunday, what are we talking about if we're not talking about Christ and Scripture? It must be part of our dialogue. And we need to be better about this as a church. This statistic broke my heart. Listen to this. 85% of those between the ages of 12 and 25 professing Christians in the church do not see their church as a place to turn when they're in trouble. 85%. So they don't turn to the church and they're not talking to the parents. Where do they go? Where do they go? They go to a place where there is no answer of Christ and there is no hope of the gospel. As ministers of the gospel, we need to work hard to make workers. Grandparents, parents, older males and females in this church to grow disciples here and to equip them for future work. That's what we're called to do. So number one, we're supposed to stay focused on the work. Number two, find help for the work, and there's plenty. Lots of you young people, oh my goodness, there's so much, you got so much energy. We want to take that energy and harness it for the gospel, do we not? Yeah, don't shake your heads, I know, it's good, it's good. Last one, number three, submit to God in the work. So in verse four, Luke tells us that they, now speaking of of Paul and Silas and Timothy, they went on their way through the cities. They're going to all the churches in the areas where uh, Paul and Barnabas first shared the gospel. Verse five, the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in number daily. So after they'd done this, what did they do? They go back to Antioch of Syria and they take a sabbatical? No, did they go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody? No, what do they do? They said, you know what? We gotta go to some uncharted territories. Let's go to places where the gospel has yet to be preached. Look at verse six. And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, you read that and you think, okay, this is one of Paul's travel logs. I read through this in my head. because I don't know where these places are. It makes no sense to me. He's somewhere, somewhere, right? That's all I know. There's debate on the exact locations of some of these places. There's some debate on the actual route that he took. But what I want you to know here, the most important piece to get out of this, is that God was directing every single piece of it. It wasn't Paul saying, I'm an apostle, I will make these decisions. Paul is attempting to get to some of these really populated areas, and the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ and God himself is preventing him from so doing. So he leaves Antioch of Pisidian, if you remember, that was the northernmost city that he and Barnabas visited on their first missionary journey. It's in, it would have been in lower, the lower eastern portion of the province of Galatia, and he, so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they essentially make a straight line due west across what would be modern-day Turkey, okay? They're trying to get down to, we say the word Asia. Asia here is not Asia that we know. Asia in the Bible in this particular section deals specifically with the, the northwestern region of Turkey, okay? So think of actually a very small area of Turkey. That's where Paul was trying to get in. Cities that you would know You would know this, Ephesus, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Philadelphia. These are all cities in that area where the gospel eventually gets, but not first here by Paul on this journey. So he's trying to get down there. 
He wants to share the gospel in these places. They are influential places. And look at what we're told in verse 6. The Holy Spirit has other plans. Forbidden, Paul is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Can't get there. We don't know how. Again, lots of speculation. The scriptures don't say. I don't know. He just can't go for lots of reasons. So they continue east. They're still tracking east across Turkey. And they get to Mysia. Now, Mysia was on the, north, the more, most northwestern portion of Turkey, right on the border of Bithynia. So they wanted to go up to the Black Sea, and they wanted to share the gospel there. Why? A very busy area, lots of people, commercial, right? So the gospel would be heard by lots of people. Verse 7, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but then what? The Spirit of Jesus did not allow it. So first the Holy Spirit says, don't go south. Then the Spirit of Christ says, don't go north. And so what do they do? They keep going west. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now they land in Troas, and they're thinking, oh, this is, Troas was a a major metropolitan city in Asia Minor, and Paul's thinking, this is it. Oh, we're going to plant a church here, and it's going to be fantastic. We're going to settle in here. God had other plans. Look at verse 9. So they're in Troas, and very likely early in the first few days, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, now notice the we instead of they, who's on board? Luke's on board. So from here on out, Luke's tracking with Paul on the second missionary journey. We, Luke joins them, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, if you sat out, you know, the geographic details confuse me. It's not the main point. The main point is God's divine leading as a holy triune God in all of this. Did you notice that? In verse 10, it's the Father. In verse 7, it's the Son. In verse 6, it's the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all engaged in leading Paul and Silas and Mark and um, Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Luke into what? Into Europe. This is the first opportunity we know of in the Bible where the gospel lands on European soil. They land, Macedonia was Greece. They land in Greece. Incredible. It's incredible in light of the history of Christianity and Europe that this is, the, this is what God was doing. He says, I'm getting you into Europe. This is one of the, the plainer. Paul had several visions. This is a pretty clear one, right? There's a, there's a man from Macedonia standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the Greek conveys clearly that this man was persistent and probably said it multiple times, come and help us. And that the message was singular also. We need help. We need help. Now, Paul wasn't confused as to what that help would be. You know, it's, it's extraordinary that it's Greece. Right? I mean, this is, this is the home of the great philosophers, right? This is Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. This is the home of the, the Greek pantheon and all the gods that they had. And so to have this request that God planted in their hearts to bring a Jewish Christian to Greece, of all places. They had contemplated deeply and written extensively on the origin of life, the meaning of life, of life after death. They had, they had created elaborate systems of religion to try to understand who God was, how God created, who they were, what their purpose was. This was already there. And yet, by God's sovereign decree, this man from Macedonia, this man from Greece, appears to Paul and says what? Help us. Help us with what? I mean, certainly if anybody would know at that point in time answers about God, it would be the Greeks. And yet it's the Greeks who are asking for help. Why did they need help? 
Why do they need help? They need help because everybody needs help in knowing who God is, right? We all need to know. The knowledge that they had, the philosophy, the religion, it was insufficient because they didn't know the gospel. They didn't know how to get to God. They didn't know who this true God was. My beloved, with all of our knowledge and all of our technology and all the advancements of those of us living in the 21st century and those of us living here in Silicon Valley where we think we're so superior to people in other places throughout the country, technologically speaking, we need desperate help. We need the same help that they needed in Greece. And so Paul rightly concludes in verse 10 what? God had called us to preach the gospel to them. To them. Now, missionaries and missionary organizations have used this passage in particular to talk about the need to go to all the nations. And, and, and I do believe that God calls us to be faithful witnesses to every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? That's, that's the calling for us to go to all places. But I think that this passage actually provides a little bit of wisdom in that movement, that, that it's not just let's go everywhere all the time regardless. We have a lot of direction that's given here by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and God himself. It's amazing that God would prevent Paul from sharing the gospel in a place that had never been shared before. Right, so when he's trying to get down into Asia and to, to places like, he'll get to Ephesus, and the gospel will get to Sardis and to Thyatira and Pergamum. It'll get there, but not by Paul this time. And then he can't even get north into Bithynia. God's preventing all of this. He said, well, why would he do that? Because it's God's decision on where the Spirit will move, when doors will be opened, when doors will be closed, when people will be saved and people will not be saved. So God's making this great movement, sending his missionaries across the agency into Greece and not to places that Paul wanted to go. Were Paul, Paul's motives sincere? Absolutely. I think he really wanted those people in those areas to be saved. But what God was saying, not now, not by you. And so he prevented them from going. The key is this, my beloved, it's the triune God that's behind all true gospel work. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is behind all true gospel work. So we want to bring the gospel to those places where God is opening doors, don't we? We want to, we want to go to the Macedonians in our lives that symbolize that place where God is already doing a work. He's already moving by his Spirit, and the gospel, therefore, is needed. Now, you say, well... What am I supposed to do, pastor? Wait for a vision? No, I would not say do that. I do not believe that that is the normative means by which God communicates with us. But I do believe he still providentially guides us. I believe that through prayer and through scripture in the context of a community just like this, you can know where to go, where to serve, how to serve. I believe that the church would be far better off today if we collectively made this movement in prayer and scripture to seek God's will and say, Lord, where should we be? Where should we be as a church? Where should we be as missionaries? Not just going. And I'm thankful that a lot of our organizations spend a lot of time seeking God's face in that. He still does move us like that. And for you individually, my beloved, I think that this is, this is applicable as well. It's not just the church or missionary organizations. It's you as a missionary in your mission field. right? That you Are you sensitive to those in your mission field, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, who are most apt to hear the gospel. I'm not saying restrain it. Preach the gospel. Preach it boldly and preach it widely. But are you sensitive to the Macedonian man or Macedonian woman in your ears saying, help me, I need help. Are you sensitive to those who reach out to you, to those who are struggling, 
to those who need help but have no idea where to turn. You say, well, what, what does that look like? If you have a colleague who's having marital issues, let's say that he's not getting along with his wife, but he doesn't know Christ, right? You want to teach him how to properly love his wife, but how do you do that if he doesn't know how? The love of Christ, right? So that's a gospel moment. He's in need. He wants help, and so you help him. Of course you help him with his marriage, but that has to come through the cross. Or what about, what about a neighbor that you see this poor neighbor, and every day she just struggles with her children, raising her children, their disobedient children, and she asks you for help. What counsel do you give? You know, the 10 best ways to keep your kids in line? Probably not, but you would share the gospel with them because that's the pursuit that she needs to know, right? She needs help, and it's going to come through Christ. Or maybe you just have a friend who really has no purpose in life. I mean, they're rambling through life. They're trying to figure it out. But how can you have purpose if there's no creator? How can you know your purpose if you don't know your creator? Right, so all these are opportunities for us to see those around us that are struggling and bring the truth to them. They are saying to you, help me. Help me. Paul and the others were sensitive to God's leading. They were not attempting to go to those places where God closed the doors. And then they ran through the doors that he opened. Last thing and I'll close, I want you to notice that as they as they navigated God's providential map, and it was a providential map, as their no, 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 yes, okay, go. I want you to notice that they understood that whatever door God opened, it was to, for them to do what? To preach the gospel. It was to preach the gospel. That they never lost focus of that. So they make their way into Macedonia, and I have no doubt that the Macedonian world was very much like ours, completely fallen. So they get there, and there's sickness, there's oppression, there's family strife, there's unemployment. But Paul and the others do, are not called to be politicians. They're not called to be social workers. They are called to what? To testify, to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. That's what their calling was. Called to bring help to those in Macedonia who could not help themselves. They had heard their philosophers, and they heard their religion, and many embraced it but they were still lost. They did not know the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul and the others were there, to help them, to give them hope of knowing the one true living God. How would they know if they were not told? To give them hope of not being enslaved and subject to the consequences of sin on this side and for all eternity. Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke were there to give them hope that they could come before God the thrice holy God, on the day of judgment and not be judged. That through faith in Jesus Christ, by his perfect sacrifice on the cross, they could enter into the presence of God and not be condemned, but be received as what? As sons and daughters, as heirs of the throne of Jesus. Paul would later write in Corinthians the message that he brought everywhere. He preached what? Christ crucified. That was his message. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, where God is doing the work in advance, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. A crucified, risen Savior is man's only true help. He's his only true help. And you know this. There are many people in your lives right now that do not know Christ and they need help. Help them. Help them see who Christ is. 
Share the gospel with them lovingly, patiently. Come alongside them. Rightly love them. They're image bearers of God. Love them well and bring the gospel to them as well. You have Macedonians in your mission field. You do. Hopefully you're not so caught up in your world that you don't know who they are. You have Macedonians in your backyard that are crying in their hearts and having no real answers because they've never heard. They've never heard the gospel. We, we live in a post-post-Christian culture. Do not assume for a minute that someone's ever heard the name Jesus Christ other than a curse word, especially in this area. They've never heard the gospel. How can they be helped without him? We are the messengers. It is the work we've been called to do. All the work that we do as Christians, all the good work, must not be at the expense of the proclamation of the gospel and the making of disciples, bringing hope, real hope, to those people who need real help. All right, so in 2022, Cambrian Park Baptist Church, are you ready? Don't get distracted. Number one, number two, train up others because we need help in the work. And lastly, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. He'll lead us. He'll lead us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you've given us this work to do. You don't need us to do it, Lord. But what a joy it is that you call us to participate in it. I ask, Lord, that 2022 would be a year for this church and for all your true churches here in the South Bay where we we would have the laser focus of Paul and Barnabas in doing the work that you've set before us, that we would faithfully share the gospel with the lost in our mission field, that we would faithfully make disciples, that we'd raise up people in this church right here to be the most faithful disciples they can be, and that we would rightly submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, be sensitive to that voice through the word in the context of the church. Um, We know this is what you desire, Father, so we can say thy will be done and know it will be. Uh, Be pleased to glorify yourself in these ways here in this church. In Christ's name, amen.